Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Enthusiast Gaming Fiscal Fourth Quarter and Year-End 2020 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. Please note this conference is being recorded. I will now turn the conference over to your host, Eric Bernofsky. You may begin. Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Enthusiast Gaming's fourth quarter and year-end earnings call. We'll start with commentary from our Chief Executive Officer, Adrian Montgomery, and will be followed by our Chief Financial Officer, Alex McDonald, who will recap the company's fourth quarter and year-end 2020 results before opening the floor to questions. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that today's presentation contains forward-looking information that involves known and unknown risks and uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual events to differ materially from current expectations. These statements should not be read as assurances of future performance or results. Such statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from those implied by such statements. A more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties facing the company appear in the company's management discussion and analysis for the three- and 12-month periods ending December 31, 2020, which are available under the company's profile on CDAR, as well as on the company's website. You are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements, which speak only as of the date of this presentation. Company disclaims any intention or obligation, except to the extent required by law, to update and revise any forward-looking statements as a result of new information, future events, or for any other reason. Now, I will turn the call over to Adrian Montgomery, CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. Adrian. Thank you, Eric. And good afternoon and welcome to our fourth quarter in 2020 year-end financial earnings call. I'm very pleased to share with you today the details of our record fourth quarter and year-ended 2020 financial and operating results. It was exactly 12 months ago in the second half of March 2020 when advertising rates plummeted as one of the worst, uh, as one of the first economic impacts of COVID-19. We closed both Q1 and Q2 of 2020 with about $7 million each in revenue. Fast forward just two quarters, and we delivered $42.5 million in revenue in Q4, six times higher than in Q2, and almost five times the just more than $9 million in comparable revenue in Q4 of 2019 when factoring in seasonality. Alex will talk in more detail about our record financial performance later in the call. Enthusiast Gaming is the home for Gen Z and millennial video game and esports fans. We build communities for these fans that are powered by content, esports, and entertainment. We connect with over 300 million gamers around the world on a monthly basis across our portfolio of websites, YouTube channels, social media followers of our players and our talent, and viewers of our various entertainment offerings. In the United States, our biggest market, we reach between 
uh, upwards of 65 million unique visitors on the web alone as measured by Comscore, which is a third-party measurement. In fact, we're proud to be recognized earlier this year as a top 100 Internet property in the United States and only one of two in the gaming information category, along with the Amazon live streaming platform Twitch, and we were, enthusiasts that is, the largest in the mobile web category. This verified audience means that we reach approximately one in every two Gen Z and millennials in the United States in a given month on one or more of our assets. This is the demographic that our business is built on, and it underpins our go-to-market strategy with large brands and advertisers trying to connect with this coveted yet increasingly elusive demographic. Every day, more and more Gen Z and Millennials are leaving traditional social media like Facebook. Where are they going? They are flocking to our video game communities to maintain social connections with friends, to make new friends. They are also consuming more and more hours of content on YouTube and Twitch. Enthusiast Gaming's fan flywheel provides Gen Zs and Millennials with the content, the esports, and the entertainment that they crave. Enthusiast Today has built one of the most complete video game and esports fan experiences as evidenced by the hundreds of millions of fans engaging with our content and in our communities on a monthly basis. Our strategy is to own the video game and esports fan experience from the moment the video game controller is put down and the fan journey begins. Gaming is not just a hobby, but a lifestyle. Gen Zs and Millennials spend more time consuming gaming content than any other form of entertainment. In fact, gaming is now bigger than the movie and music industries combined. Two-thirds of Gen Z males say that gaming is a core part of who they are. It is how they consume media, how they spend money, and it forms the backbone of their social interactions. So for brands and advertisers looking to connect with this audience, they need a video game strategy. And by virtue of our reach and broad collection of assets, we can offer more touch points to the gamer than any other media company. Enthusiast has built an unmatched ecosystem for the video game and esports fan, offering more points of contact, more points of connection, and a deeper cross-platform relationship than any other company. This creates tremendous loyalty. This creates stickiness, and this creates a better fan experience. So our vision which has already been validated by a number of new par corporate partners, is to build a horizontal approach across the fan experience, which today is unmatched by any other. We want to spend more time with the video game fan than anyone else. So now that I've provided some color on our market, I'll take you through our growth strategy, which is built upon a proprietary flywheel that we believe is the right formula to drive meaningful improvements in RPV or revenue per viewer. Phase one was about building scale. Over the last five years, our buy and build strategy has focused on building scale both in audience and the experiences we are able to deliver.
Combined, we believe we have among the most valuable assets that target Gen Zs and Millennials today. These assets include over 1,000 YouTube channels with over 500 YouTube content creators and influencers, over 100 websites, an internal production engine, and ownership of 30 unique gaming content shows, which we package each and every week on YouTube, Snapchat, and other over-the-top streaming platforms like Samsung TV+. Our Luminosity Gaming Esports organization competes in Fortnite, Valorant, Madden, and others, while we also own significant interests in the two major franchise leagues owned by Activision, the Seattle Surge of the Call of Duty League, and the Vancouver Titans of the Overwatch League. In addition, our Luminosity Gaming talent roster is home to some of the largest gaming influencers and content creators in the world today, including XQC, MuSelk, Fresh, Chica, Nick A30, and Anomaly. These are the celebrities. These are the tastemakers. This is the zeitgeist of the Gen Z generation. And finally, our entertainment events around the world, EGLX in Canada, Pocket Gamer Connects, both live and, of course, our very successful pivot to virtual in the past year. This scale and breadth are what differentiates enthusiast gaming by allowing us to engage fans across multiple channels. So that's phase one. Phase two focuses on the rapid acceleration of revenue per viewer achieved through direct sales and optimization within our programmatic ad technology. We began these efforts in the early part of 2020 while many media companies were forced to scale back due to the initial impacts of COVID-19 and the relative impact in the advertising markets. But we took a different approach and we started building. We were confident that the flywheel we were building would have value to brands and advertisers, and we needed to scale our ability to bring that to market. So we began hiring advertising sales and fulfillment professionals in New York, in Los Angeles, and in Toronto, and later in the year, Chicago, and now London in the United Kingdom. Direct sales generates revenue at a 10 to 20% 10 to 20 times higher rate than programmatic advertising. To capture this opportunity, we hired much more aggressively in the fourth quarter than we had initially planned, including entering a third US geography in the Midwest to complement our East and West Coast teams which I mentioned earlier. We pulled these hires in due to the strong initial success we've had ramping direct sales. To help you understand the types of returns we are seeing on these hires, a year ago, our salespeople were pitching for four- and five-year figure deals and just one or two a week. In Q1 of 2020, we pitched 21 direct deals. That number grew to over 100 in Q4. The volume continues to rise, as does the size of deals we are pitching on and winning. We are closing more six-figure deals exiting the year than we pitched on just a few quarters ago. We are responding to RFPs of over seven figures, and we just closed our largest deal, a healthy seven-figure deal, in Q1 of this year. So what has changed, you ask? Well, the flywheel strategy is working. 
A year ago, Enthusiast was a small player that very few advertisers have heard of. While today we have scaled the business and demonstrated proof of concept and performance, as evidenced by the trajectory in the growth of direct sales from less than $100,000 in Q1 to $500,000 in Q2, $1 million in Q3, and more than tripling that to $3.3 million in Q4. As of earlier today, we have already nearly matched our 2020 direct sales total with bookings so far in 2021. In 2020, we activated a number of multi-platform content, sponsorship, and media deals with the likes of Activision, Amazon, Disney, Gillette, G Fuel, TikTok, Facebook Gaming, Microsoft, Unity, the National Hockey League, Spider Tech, Honey, State Farm Insurance, Grubhub, Burger King, Cartoon Network, Doritos, Lego, Lenovo, Raycon, Samsung, Sony PlayStation, Spin Master, Square Enix, TELUS, the United States Air Force, and Ubisoft, as well as the transformational deal with the Biden-Harris presidential campaign, which we've talked at length about that happened in October and November of last year. Last quarter, we talked about how the Biden-Harris campaign came to enthusiasts to engage our user base in a get-out-the-vote campaign targeting Gen Zs and Millennials. This quarter, I want to highlight our recently announced deal with Samsung earlier in the quarter, as well as our partnership with TikTok we announced this morning, which serves as further proof points that our strategy is working. In mid-January, we announced a multi-platform sponsorship deal with Samsung to promote its gaming-related products. Why did Samsung choose us? because we were able to offer them something no one else could, access to over a heavily concentrated targeted audience of Gen Zs and Millennials across a suite of integrated media, esports, and entertainment assets, including product placement with team influencers and brand ambassadors, including during live stream content, luminosity gaming team sponsorship, including logo placements on team jerseys and at various entertainment activations, custom content integrations with Enthusiast Media web and YouTube properties, media advertising across Enthusiast Media channels, and sponsorship of the 2021 EGLX event. Again, no one can offer that menu and that integration of assets uh, to Samsung other than us. Today, we announced a new partnership with TikTok. We're leveraging our leadership position on mobile to help drive adoption and bridge the integration of TikTok within the gaming and esports industry. It's pretty cool that a company like TikTok chose us, Enthusiast Gaming, to help create awareness and engagement for its platform. Again, we believe this horizontal strategy of building across the fan experience is resonating extremely well among advertisers and sponsors and there's not a competitor who can offer that integrated package as we speak today. As we look at 2021, we will continue to move more deeply into phase two of our growth strategy. I already mentioned optimizing our CPMs and our direct sales efforts, which will derive that higher revenue per viewer. So next I'll talk about paid subscriptions and content licensing. Paid subscriptions grew by about 60% in the year and ended the year at 122,000 subscribers. 
In Q4, we invested in resources dedicated to developing our paid subscription strategy, including pricing and retention specialists, and are evaluating broader subscription offerings across multiple content channels. These efforts are contributing to enhancing value for subscribers. We have also dedicated effort to reducing churn by transitioning subscribers to annual plans from monthly plans, and this investment is already beginning to bear fruit with subscriptions rising to 135,000 as we sit today. We plan to continue to invest in this high growth, high margin recurring revenue business and leverage our influencers and other assets to create new, unique premium subscription content. On the licensing and distribution side, we talked last quarter about the launch of our Fortnite themed BCC gaming as a new over-the-top channel on Samsung TV+. We also release new mobile programming, Luminosity Plays, on SNAP's platform. Complementing our organic strategy, growth strategy, is our focused M&A strategy. Subsequent to the year-end, we closed an upsized bot deal, delivering $42 million in gross proceeds to the company, as well as eliminating more than $9 million in debt and close to a million in annual interest with the conversion of our outstanding debentures into equity. This <coughs> significant strengthening of our balance sheet has allowed us to accelerate our M&A plans. As such, I want to demonstrate how we will put that capital work to work through a creative M&A. The first part of our strategy is to acquire affiliated properties that we currently monetize but do not own. The thinking on this is that as we monetize, we learn more about the properties, and we believe it's the best possible due diligence machine. We have deployed this strategy for nearly five years, and it has produced some of our best owned and operated assets that we have today, including our largest owned property, the Sims Resource. Acquiring these properties is immediately accretive and unlocks the ability to start monetizing through the company's differentiated flywheel mentioned earlier. Think subscriptions. Think e-commerce. Think merchandise. In line with this strategy is the recently announced binding term sheet we entered into last week to acquire Icy Veins for 7 million euros, the largest affiliated property on the enthusiast platform. We expect this deal to close in Q2. We have a robust pipeline of similar opportunities that we are excited about that we know intimately, and that will significantly enhance the margin profile of the company. The next part of our strategy is adding more communities. Video game fan communities are highly fragmented, and we will continue to look to further consolidate this market. Finally, a topic of considerable interest for us and for our investors is the company continues to advance its NASDAQ listing application, which we understand is in its final stages, and accordingly, we plan on filing a Form 40-F registration statement with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in the coming weeks. As you see, we have accomplished a lot in 2020, but we honestly believe we are just getting started. There are a lot of exciting opportunities ahead, and we are focused on staying on strategy to achieve our goals in 2021 and beyond. I am excited for our future, and I believe we have the team and the assets to deliver long-term shareholder value.
And I would be remiss if I didn't speak about our secret asset, which really powers enthusiast gaming, which is the men and women uh, that I and the management team are privileged to work with each and every day. Uh, I want to congratulate the enthusiast employees on a transformational year. I want to thank them for their hard work and their dedication. Um, and I can honestly tell you, uh, perhaps it's hard for investors to measure this or analysts to measure this, um, but if, if people really understood as we do um, how passionate our employee base is and our management team is, it gives me great confidence um, that we're going to continue to achieve uh, boldly and creatively in the months and years to come. So I will now turn the call over to our CFO, Alex McDonald, for further commentary on our financial results. Alex. Uh, thank you very much, Adrian. I am once again delighted to be here to provide commentary on a tremendous Q4, which closes off a transformative 2020 year for Enthusiast Gaming. I would like to start by reminding listeners that the acquisition of Omnia Media occurred on August 30th, 2020. Enthusiast Gaming was the acquirer in the transaction, and accordingly, the financial statements are a continuation of those of Enthusiast Gaming, with approximately four months of Omnia results being included in our annual numbers. Any references to pro forma figures in our commentary will assume that the acquisition of Omnia Media occurred on the first day of the respective period. Pro forma adjustments for the acquisition of Omnia Media are not required for Q4 2020. For convenience and for future comparison, we have provided pro forma metrics in a supplemental table in today's press release. I would also like to remind our analysts and investors that we changed our segmented reporting in Q3, and on this call, I will be providing revenue information segmented under both the new and old reporting segments. However, beginning in Q1 2021, we will cease providing segmented information under the former segments. I also wish to note that our business is affected by seasonal trends in digital advertising, with sequential increases each quarter throughout the year, driven by increasing ad prices and demand, which peaks in Q4. Also, I note that our results are presented in Canadian dollars. With that said, let's talk about the financial results. Q4 revenue was $42.5 million, which is up 34% sequentially from the pro forma Q3 revenue of 31.7. Annual pro forma revenue for 2020 was $127.6 million, and reported revenue for 2020 was $72.8 million. Q4 revenue under the new segment was as follows. Media and content, $39.6 million. Subscription, $1.7 million. And esports and entertainment, $1.2 million. Under the old segmenting, these amounts were media, $41.2 million. Esports, $0.7 million, And entertainment, $0.5 million. This substantial increase was driven by our media and content segment. Both our web and video networks independently set all-time highs for quarterly revenue. These highs were driven by robust engagement and views, which was coupled with seasonal high CPMs in the ad market. I note we continue to take steps to optimize our programmatic selling. We achieved a Q4 blended CPM on our web programmatic networks equal to that of Q4 2019, despite the continued disruption of COVID-19 in the ad market. This coupled with the significant and growing contributions of direct sales, meant that media and content revenue attributable to our web platforms 
which represents our web properties and partners prior to the Omnia acquisition, are up 69% Q4 2020 over Q4 2019. Direct sales included in media and content for Q4 2020 were 3.3 million as compared to approximately 1 million in Q3, 0.6 million in Q2, and 0.1 million in Q1. I'd like to reiterate that we only began our direct sales efforts in Q1 of 2020. We did not have a sales team in 2019. Subscription revenue was 1.7 million for Q4, up from 1.6 million in Q3, and up 85% year over year from 0.9 million in Q4 2019. As of December 31st, 2020, we had approximately 122,000 paid subscribers, which has since increased to approximately 135,000 as of today. Esports and entertainment revenue was 1.2 million in Q4, up from 1.1 million in Q3. Esports and entertainment revenue was down from 2.9 million in Q4 2019. Public health restrictions and the necessity to ensure the safety of our audience meant the company was unable to host the live version of the EGLX Gaming Expo typically held annually in Q4 in Toronto. In 2019, the Expo attracted over 30,000 visitors, and we are hopeful for the return of the live portion of EGLX in 2021 and the return of the associated revenues. Gross profit was $8.1 million for Q4, up 53% from the pro forma gross profit of Q3. The growth in gross profit in Q4 of 53% significantly outpaced the growth in revenue of 34%. Gross margin was 19.1% in Q4, compared to pro forma gross margin of 16.8% in Q3. What is notable about this is that earlier I mentioned that the increase in quarterly revenues was driven by our media and content segment. Historically, of our three segments, media and content has been the lowest margin, but despite it driving the revenue increase, gross margin as a percentage also increased. This is a demonstration of the importance and influence of direct sales in our media model and on our income statement profile. Operating expenses were $12.5 million in Q4, up from $9.3 million pro forma for Q3. I note that Q4 operating expenses include $1.6 million of amortization, which significantly increased in Q4 and Q3 due to the initial recognition of intangible assets relating to the acquisition of Omnia Media. And the increase was also partly driven by integration costs also relating to the Omnia Media acquisition. With that said, we are actively expanding our operations. Our staffing levels grew in Q4 and in Q1, which we have done to support anticipated growth. In addition, we have expanded our global content and editorial teams in order to develop new products which are not yet in the market, such as Upcomer and others to be announced. And we grew our esports teams under the Luminosity banner, expanding into Valorant in the second half of 2020 and signing some of the world's most popular gamers, such as XQC, Muzelk, and Nick A30, to the Luminosity roster. Net loss and comprehensive loss decreased to $6.9 million in Q4 from $8 million in Q3, resulting in a net and comprehensive loss per share, both basic and diluted, of $0.06 cents in Q4. Subsequent to the year-end, the company conducted a public offering of common shares, issuing approximately 7.4 million shares for net proceeds of approximately $40 million. The company used a portion of these proceeds to pay down revolving lines of credit, reducing long-term debt by $13.8 million. The company now has unused available credit of $14 million. The company also announced in Q1 this year the completion of the conversion of $9 million principal amount convertible debentures, 
Between the conversion of the debentures and the paydown of the long-term debt, the company expects to save approximately $2.5 million in annual interest expense. In addition, between the offering and the conversion of the debentures, the balance sheet has strengthened by approximately $50 million. We are certainly of the opinion that the results of operations and the financial condition of the company have never been stronger. As we look into 2021, I'd like to make a few observations. We have previously stated that we are a growth company and we are investing and making operational decisions accordingly. We will continue to expand our operations to support anticipated growth and we reiterate our growth-oriented outlook and business plan. We expect no less than a 20% increase in 2021 revenue versus 2020 pro forma revenue. We will see the impact of seasonality in Q1 2021 in our media and content segment. I also note that Q1 2020 pro forma revenue was $26.2 million, including $2.5 million of esports and entertainment revenue. The esports and entertainment revenue in Q1 2020 largely related to the annual Pocket Gamer Connects conference held in London, England in January. Pocket Gamer Connects London was our highest grossing event in 2020, and this event was not able to run in 2021 due to public health restrictions. As for 2021 direct sales, we are at a significant advantage in 21 over 20. The majority of our direct sales, when signed, are for revenue to be recognized in future periods. We've already signed dozens of customers for services to be delivered throughout 2021, and we are only in March. The impact of this will build and become evident throughout the year. And similar to the impact direct sales had on our Q4 2020 results, we expect to see discernible impact from continued growth in subscription in 2021. As I noted earlier, as at the end of 2020, we had 122,000 paid subscribers, which we have already grown by over 10% to 135,000 in less than three months since year-end. Finally, one more observation. I want to note that the majority of our revenues are measured in U.S. dollars, and the exchange rate between that and our presentation currency of Canadian dollars should be monitored and considered when analyzing or forecasting results. And to the hundreds of people who contribute across the enthusiast gaming ecosystem, I want to congratulate you all on a very successful 2020 year. And I want to thank our analysts, shareholders, and members members of the public for their time today and say that from management's point of view, we trust that this Q4 illustrates that we are, again, one step forward on our path to demonstrating the earnings power of our ecosystem of 300 million gamers monthly. We will continue to go forth and advance our business. And ladies and gentlemen, our business is the business of gaming. Thank you. Operator, I turn it back to you. Thank you. At this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Our first question comes from Neil Gilmer with Hayward Securities. Please proceed with your question. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Yeah, good afternoon, and, and congrats on a great quarter. 
Um, maybe I'll just, you know, start with the, I guess the, the main question I have with in your prepared comments with respect to your, your growth strategy, um, where you are with that, uh, sort of focus in, in this year of phase two and sort of phase three, both in the, in the direct selling and, and optimizing of the CPMs as well as the subscriptions. You know, I take away from Adrian, your comments, you know, extremely bullish outlook on where you are. You've already accomplished, obviously, significant growth in the sub so far with what you announced today. Um, in reconciling that with your outlook on the, on the 20% revenue growth, you know, from my perspective, my takeaway is, is, is that's a fairly conservative outlook. And, and obviously, I think that there's, you know, plenty of opportunity in front of you to try to probably accelerate that a little bit. But just wondering if you could provide a little bit more commentary on, on that. Cause I think that, you know, my, my initial reaction is that, um, you know, you, you're well in, in, into the, the phase two and phase three. Um, and you're only sort of not even quite three months into the year. Um, well, thanks for the question, Neil. And, um, I would, I would agree with, with that assessment. I think, that um, again, w- what we see, you know, apart from um, our hard work and, and, and positioning this business, certainly um, the one of the most encouraging signs that we see, and, and we believe we have um, an incredibly accurate uh, data set here, is that the the recognition among the corporate world that you have to have a video game strategy to engage meaningfully with young people is becoming more widely adopted quicker um, than we ever could have imagined. And so, again, anecdotally, um, and I, 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 so I think there's a, a, a great macro uh, trend happening, and I also think that the hardworking men and women here um, have done a strong job in the past year of inserting ourselves into the conversation. Um, in Q1 of, of 2020, if you went to WPP in New York City, they probably had never heard of Enthusiast Gaming. Uh, I doubt that's the case today. And in fact, I know it's not the case. So one data point would be, you know, in Q2 uh, or Q3 of 2020, uh, our sales team, our modest sales team was probably fielding about one, maybe two RFPs a week. Uh, in Q1, and remember the seasonality of this business, in Q1 of 2020, uh, we're fielding on average 11 or 12, sometimes 20. Um, so the pipeline is strong. Um, the conversations with existing customers about expanding our commercial relationships with them are what have us really excited. And then, as we said on the last call, we are really excited about um, subscription and content licensing. And um, on the subscription side, um, look, we, we have brought in professionals who get up every day and go to bed at night thinking about acquisition, retention, churn numbers, pricing, packaging. A lot of them come from the telco world. And we're seeing the results, not only in the net ads of subscribers, but in the increase in the long-term value, in the uh, migration of more and more of our subscribers to annual uh, subscriptions as opposed to monthly, that strengthens the quality of the revenue demonstrably. And our content licensing team um, is, 
um, having a lot of initial success. We expect that to become more of uh, an, uh, an exciting revenue stream. We're talking to the Netflixes. We're talking to the OTT providers around the world. Uh, we're talking about long-form, short-form content. And again, we have a warehouse of, of talent, of channels, of proprietary sites, uh, so we can be uh, a content platform's best friend. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we, as we sit here, we see um, the industry um, or the broader corporate industry realizing uh, the, the essential nature of video games in a young person's life, and we're also seeing the benefits of a lot of hard work of making Enthusiast Gaming uh, a company that's on the short list of a lot of people who buy media for a living. That's great. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate that. And if I could sneak in a follow-up, um, and, and maybe this is directed towards uh, Alex. Um, you commented on Q1 on the pro forma basis of last year, and obviously we're aware of the seasonality in the business. Trying to make sure that we recognize, um, you know, where the main impacts of, of COVID were in 2020 to, to sort of get that year-over-year comparison. Is it fair to say Q2 of 2020? Was you know the, the the had the most significant impact on on uh, the business on a pro forma basis, um, and so you know if we're looking at this year in a more normalized environment, we might see a little bit of an outperformance on a year over year growth rate in that quarter. Hi, uh, yeah. hey, hey, Neil. Um, uh, good to talk to you. The 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 things to look for are yeah, Q two is certainly where we saw the impact of COVID. Um, in 2020. So normally you would expect um, a, a bit more of a rise Q1 to Q2 on seasonality effects. Uh, if you look at the table, and I note that we the media and content, we did 24.4 versus 22.5. That's a little bit of a, a stunted rise. Um, it should, you know, in a typical year, you'd see a lot more. So that's the effect of COVID. The other thing to watch out for is, is the esports and entertainment revenue. Um, just keep in mind that last year, our biggest grossing event happened in January. That's pre-COVID, and we weren't able to run the in-person. Where we've had tremendous success this year, and and uh, you know, to be honest, it's one of the things I'm most proud of on the team is our events division turned virtual, and they defended a lot of their gross profit, um, which I can't imagine there's many event you know CFOs with events divisions out there that are able to say that right now. I'm incredibly proud to say it. I can't take any credit for it, um, but that revenue though will be substantially you know that revenue from that event is it won't be included. Obviously, the event did not happen. Um, there were virtual versions which recover a lot of the gross profit associated, but uh, but but virtual events don't have the same much lower cost. They don't have the same revenue as uh, live events. Um, so, so that's those are the two. So, those would be your benchmarks. Okay. Thanks very much, Alex. Appreciate it, and uh, congrats right. again, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. Our next question is from Brian Kinsplinger with Alliance Global Partners. Please proceed with your question. Great. <clears throat> Thanks so much. You've hit uh, so many targets to help improve the uh, margin profile of the company. In terms of direct advertising sales. Did I hear Adrian correctly that the bookings thus far in 1Q are equal to all of 2020? And then can you talk about the evolution of a brand that advertises on your site? And what I mean by that is do they start with a small campaign for a month or a quarter 
And then generally, second and third, uh, you see larger campaigns. Maybe take us through that evolution. Yeah, th thanks, Brian, and, and uh, good to talk to you. Um, uh, yes, the, the statistic is correct that as we sit here today, we've booked more uh, at this point in the year than we have um, than we did in direct sales in all of 2020, which is a pretty impressive stat. And hats off to the team led by Bill Drolet, um for us to be able to say that to you. Now, now recognize that doesn't mean that all those activations and, and all those um, relationships are going to be performed within Q1. Um, it certainly does bode well for Q1, but, you know, for example, you know, some of those significant deals I referenced in, in the prepared remarks, um, those won't show uh, impact on the, on the income statement until Q2, as an example, or, or Q3 and, and, and beyond. Um, so the, the lead time that we're getting on our revenue visibility is, is encouraging, too, from a management perspective. Um, and, yes, you're correct. When we started, again, yes, we have incredible ComScore data, and, yes, we have a sticky audience, but when we started as a Canadian company going to New York and going to the Hollywood studios, um, you know, they, the initial reaction is, why do I need to meet with you? Um, the the follow-up reaction is, okay, that sounds really compelling. I need to verify it. Let me get back to you. Um, then the third meeting is, why don't I just continue to spend with IGN or GameSpot? Why do I need you? Uh, the fourth meeting is, I'm going to give you guys a $10,000 test. Um, and that's how this whole uh, story starts and started. Um, and so what we've managed to do is grow these relationships um, beyond those tests to the healthy six uh, and now seven-figure range. And that's, um, again, that, that's where you get rewarded for uh, showing your clients that you can deliver for them in a way that your competitors can't. And so that is, you know, the greatest card that we're playing right now. Now, again, certainly we've spent a lot of time talking about the Biden campaign. Um, we ended up doing three or four separate activations with the Biden campaign that in and of itself, even in a compressed timeline, started modestly and ended up being our, our biggest deal of 2020. So proof of performance, proof that we could micro-target uh, to Gen Z voters in swing states according to zip code, delivering on that um, got us more and more business even within that one client. Great. And then can you tell us, you said your small direct sales force. Obviously, you've just started this year or last year, 2020. Can you talk about the size today? Um, well, the size, sorry, at the end of December 2020 and where you hope will exit 2020 in terms of the recruits and how big that uh, size of, of the uh, sales force might be. Well, I can tell you that, uh, you know, at this time last year, we had um, one direct sales person, maybe two. I go to the direct sales meetings every Monday to get inspired because every time I think I might be misleading you all by saying we've just started, I go to the direct sales meeting and, and I just am blown away by the, the level and the texture of the conversations and the companies that we're engaged with. Um, the direct sales meeting, which happened today, um, there were more than 30 people on it. 
So we've uh, expanded pretty rapidly. We continue to uh, expand. We've got new people starting in the U.K. next week. Um, look, we don't target a number, as you can appreciate. Certainly, um, the, the expansion of the opportunities um, really is the major catalyst to how we hire. Uh, but if, if we're can, and, and the other thing I should say is, you know, as we started hiring more and more salespeople, the, the area that we're hiring the most in right now um, is an adjunct to sales, and that's client fulfillment. Because we're winning all this business, uh, we have to perform at a high level. And so we didn't have a client fulfillment department at this time last year, and now it's our it's our fastest-growing uh, part of our business. So we, we consider that part of the direct sales side. And, look, um, again, I don't want to get, you know, too crazy bullish here, but if we're, you know, if we're filling out, 10, 15, 20 RFPs a week in Q1, um, we better have an awful lot of client fulfillment people in Q4. Right. Lastly, a quick one. Um, how many sites today? Thank you for your questions. If you have a follow-up question, please re-enter the question queue. Our next question is from Mike Crawford with B. Riley FBR. Please proceed with your question. Uh, hi, Mike Crawford from B. Riley Securities. Um, Adrian, could you help to reset the timeline for when enthusiasts might move through these five phases of growth where you're in phase two now where you're moving from 40 or 50 cent ARPUs maybe to a dollar of revenue per, per these 300 million monthly gamers um, over the course of a, a year? And, and what, um, you know, other than... Uh, dry, selling more content or, or merchandising um, and whatnot as you move through these additional phases, but what you know the, the timeline might be timeline might be as that um, happens for you. Well, Mike, thanks for the question. Um, you know, it's certainly I believe on on our presentation that's referenced as a five-year growth uh, plan as we move through the different phases phases of our. Uh, of ARPU generation or RPV generation. Certainly, as we sit here today, it feels like we have to uh, compress those timelines. It feels like more of a three-year timeline than a five-year timeline. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll let Alex speak more specifically as the as the keeper of the enthusiast model. Um, and I'll also say, sorry, Mike, that, um, Brian, I know you were cut off. I, I guess there was a two-question limit, but, again, we've got all the time in the world, so... We'll, we'll hang on, and, and you can circle back around and, and ask us whatever you need to. Alex? Yeah, sure. Hey, hey Mike, how you doing? So, I mean, I think we just break them down, right? Like, like the first one, uh, well, one of the one of the initial ones, apart from the growth phase, is is obviously the move to direct sales and the optimization of the of the ad units. Um, you know, that that one I I think is on that like fully done in the three three to four. Your period. I'll tell you. I'll tell you where it, it the, where the difficulty comes into play. The mountain of impressions to monetize will continue to grow. So when when we say when I say complete, I initially I remember when we first came out with the direct sales model, we used to say you know 10% of the inventory at 10 times the CPM you know produces essentially a mathematical double on the media content revenue, and that is very true. In fact, that's very understated for most mature media companies. 
the difference we face is we actually now look and say, well, that like that mountain of inventory is going to grow significantly, you know, uh, every single year, um, both organically and because of our M&A strategy. So, so that's you know that that will kind of be. I, I look at uh, direct sales on a dollar value as opposed to necessarily on a percent right now that can be extrapolated because um, it's going to be difficult to judge that against M&A and organic growth. Uh, selling content. Um, so licensing and subscription. I would think of those where we were at a year ago with direct sales. I would say we're kind of there with licensing and subscription right now. Subscription already has some fantastic returns for us, uh, the very, very high margin stuff. But licensing and subscription, you know, we, we were pointing at direct sales a year ago, and now we're starting to, to deliver substantially on it. Um, we then started to point at subscription as a major opportunity, and, you know, we gave you the, uh, the up-to-date subscriber number. We're going to deliver on that. Content licensing is new. You've seen some deals trickle in through uh, uh, press releases and in some of our financial results, but I would think of that as where direct sales was a year ago. As far as the other phases, you know, the marketplace um, and the social network, those are certainly mid-term to long-term, you know, goals, which for us long-term is is a three- to five-year period. Um, I would expect to see products that point towards that and support those, uh, you know, maybe an H2 of this year. Um, but but in, for example, in my models, I do not have significant um, revenue attributed to them. Uh, certainly not in 2021. Um, that that will be more of a you'll you know we'll be at that stage in 2022, and that's when you're going to start to see it appear and and grow. All right, thanks, Alex. And then just my final question is: How do you differentiate between so-called talent and so-called players where talent contracts you amortize over three years, players over the life of their contract, subset, uh, subject to options. I mean, you have XQC right now playing Grand Theft Auto on Twitch, LG Loyal Twitch, with a, over 100,000 concurrent viewers right now as we're speaking. And, um, you know, what's the difference for your luminosity stable between talent and players? Uh, sure. I mean, he's well, he's beating us probably, but uh, maybe I could somebody text him, tell him to shift his uh, audience over here. But she should like her. Maybe sorry, I know I'm going off topic, but do you, would you maybe the XQC should simulcast the earnings call <laughs> on, on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. um, so so talent contracts are typically in reference to the video networks, um, video talent. Player contracts are players signed to the Luminosity roster. So. Where we're starting to, that's going to get complicated for you, Mike, and I'll, I'll help you guys through it. Don't worry. But now, obviously, now that we've merged and we've acquired Omnia um, and the video networks, we are are onboarding almost all the Luminosity players onto the video networks. So, um, so those are going to start to kind of be a bit bit muddier. But that's the core distinction. A talent contract is uh, is for video network purposes. A player contract is for the Luminosity roster purpose okay thanks so that's helpful I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, guys move on thank you thanks Mike thanks Mike thank you our next question is from Robert Young with Canaccord Genuity please proceed with your question hi good evening um, maybe I'll, uh, I'll ask a question on the uh, gross margins expansion that you talked about 
um, a little better than I was expecting. And uh, you hinted last quarter that the Omni business could actually be a source of margin expansion as well. So it seems like um, when we're building models here for 2021, should we expect um, gross margins to continue to expand? Uh, you'd said you're adding sales and headcount, but are there areas where you've got to invest that might pressure you know, gross margins? Or should we expect that to continue to expand? So I would so I'll say this in two ways. Um, we expect continued improvements, certainly. Um, our, you know, the, what we're pushing right now, we're very bullish on direct sales. I think we have two days the results to support that. Um, and we are bullish on subscription. And the beautiful thing about subscription, the number looks a lot smaller, but it's such high margin business that um, it doesn't take a lot to move the needle. Uh, every incremental gain quarterly, you know, it's healthy MRR, it's healthy ARR. Uh, with that said, um, the only the only reason that we would not, on a percent basis, not see margin improvement, is because um, just the you know it could be situations where all of those metrics are healthy, but we're really outperforming revenue on the lower margin streams, which just by views, by nature of views, an explosion in organic content. We are in an industry where. You know, the same video that gets posted this year gets a million views is going to get 1.25 million views next year. That's just the growth and the, the organic consumption of gaming media. Um, so with that said, that, that would be uh, what could cause, you know, what, what would work against the margin improvement. But at the same time, that would only mean because the revenue is higher. Um, so we're talking about areas like the NCN and the web platform. Yeah, so Rob, like an example of that would be, and that's why, Again, we're, we're pretty uh, disciplined on margin growth, and, and we, we're focused on taking that up to 45% before the merger of, of, of Omnia uh, or the, the acquisition of Omnia. I guess in a very specific instance, right, we're trying to build this flywheel. We want to control access to as much talent as we possibly can. The MCN is, a, is an incredible um, attraction to bring talent in and then forge a relationship and move them through the flywheel on the strength of that relationship, do merch deals with them, perhaps do some talent management, create content with them, have them, um, uh, you know, create uh, animated content that we then repackage for OTT. The reason I say that is because if Mr. Beast tomorrow um, said, man, oh, man, you enthusiast gaming guys are, are, are all that in a bag of chips, I want to join the MCN, um, that would be a great idea. Uh, we would sign off on that according to the terms, but that would, in the short term, um, negatively impact the margin, which is why we don't look at it as an MCN. We look at it as an entry point to a relationship that we can then monetize through the flywheel. So if Mr. Beast phones us after this call and wants to join our MCN, that will have downward pressure on margin, um, but it be just about the most exciting thing we could we could that could happen to us and um, well certainly today. Okay, great. That's that a makes big color. Yep, makes perfect yep. sense. Um, second question uh, would be around um, the sort of integrated data opportunity. You talked about how you've got this horizontal opportunity, but you probably have a unique data set across all of those horizontal pieces. And I was wondering. Uh, as you think about the future, what's the value of that data, and is there anything you're thinking about there? And then I'll pass the line. Hey, sure. Uh, Rob, this is Alex again. Um, there's an immediate value in front of us. that There's multiple ways that value can be extracted from data. Um, 
one that there's you know two ways to think about it is one is is you know enriching the data that's attached to our our ad offerings um, this is you know essentially called a lift on identity in the ad market uh, you know the very large players do this um, what what that means is right now when our ads go to market they may they are certainly accompanied with with um, good data points it may be a zip code it, it may be a you know device that you're on or this person's using Windows or you're on an iPhone or things like that um, there are so many data points that we can extract to enrich that data. So a, a difference would be something like what an advertiser is willing to pay for a zip code versus what an advertiser is willing to pay for a GPS location that's precise. Um, and and you and that's that actually that actually has an impact on your CPMs. So there's a data value play um, right there in front of us that that if we segment our database and we and we build out our data mining. Um, and we feed more data points into our, our programmatic networks and our ad selling technology, uh, that, that's, that's something we can immediately realize on. And then, of course, um, there's other future uh, data opportunities. Um, you know, when, like, it already exists, but I, I, believe, I believe about $20 billion was spent last year in the United States on, on data, like large companies purchasing pure data. There's a huge market for pure data. Sensitivities, of course, around uh, privacy um, and making sure that you know nothing uh, personal is included when they buy this data. But even something like you know, where else are you going to find somebody who could study the habits and preferences of millennials and Gen Zs the way that we can? We, there is no there is no place where they congregate like the way they congregate with us. Um, and on our 40, 40 Billion plus views in 2020. That is a statistically relevant sample. That's that's for sure. Um, so the data could be packaged and sold and mined that way as well. And then there's other tertiary ways that I, I won't go into too much detail to bore you. But even things like survey marketing is quite popular now, and uh, the CPMs you can get on survey marketing can well exceed what you can get on much of the programmatic. Um, for people, you know, people who use YouTube, you may notice maybe one in four or five times. You get in a survey question instead of an ad. Google's smart. That's because they made more money on that survey than they did on the ad they were going to show you. So that can help raise things like floor pricing, right? We can we easily program that in where, you know, if we don't get a good bid on an ad, we, should, we do a survey marketing instead. And that's something users are used to right now. We are all used to seeing surveys on YouTube. It's um it's a growing, it's a it's a it's a growing you know piece of kind of advertising data. Um, so that's a bit of a long answer, but the, the long answer, the long answer, the short answer is there's immediate opportunities, and there's midterm opportunities, and there's long-term opportunities on data, and they all have value. And it's one of the main reasons why we why we do the IC Danes deals, right? Um, even though they stand up as incredible margin accretion and flywheel expansion, we we know that there's something underneath that too that uh, will will rise in value particularly uh, as third-party data becomes harder and harder to access. Right. Okay, I'll go hop back in the queue so I don't get the hook here. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Our next question is from Derek Soderberg with Collier Securities. Please proceed with your question. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Alex, I wanted to start with a quick question on operating expenses. Uh, you're at about a $50 million annual run rate, it looks like, exiting 2020. I mean, you're obviously adding headcount, uh, but you also might have some one-time expenses coming out soon. 
you know, where should we expect OPEX to trend from here in 2021? And then I have a follow-up. Sure. So, I mean, you know, using the word trending, obviously you're extrapolating Q4, which is, which is the way, way to do it. Um, I can, you know, briefly on Q4, you know, without, we don't provide adjusted EBITDA. I do point out before I say anything on this question that there is no replacement for financial metrics calculated in accordance with IFRS, for example, net and comprehensive loss provided for on the financial statements. Um, however, with that said, I, I can speak to a couple expense lines and provide commentary on them. Some of this is also found in the MDA commentary. You know, amortization obviously is high. That's a normal, you know, thing I'm sure catches attention. Um, we did have integration costs, like I mentioned, for the Omnia. A lot of those costs come post-transaction. You find most of those in professional fees, things like tax and valuation work. Um, we did complete our purchase price allocation already with this year end, so so all of those costs are in there. Um, uh, so professional fees are, in my opinion, um, substantially and almost entirely you know, related to things that are maybe not in the normal course of operations. Um, I want to also point out that in our consulting and in our advertising promotion, this has come up in the past, we have certain arrangements that were struck with some of the legacy companies that were for shares, which vests over time. These shares are already included in the issue of an outstanding number, um, but because, as some people may have noticed, the share price has increased, um, which can have an impact on some of the expense valuations um, in those lines. Um, I would peg that you know, close to six or 700,000 in Q4. Um, we also have new product initiatives, things that aren't capitalized, but new product initiatives and marketing initiatives. We did announce Upcomer, and we have other products that are not yet in the market and not yet announced that we are working on. Um, for us, like, that, those costs come in the form of, you know, uh, you know, content, uh, web support, and, and also, and of course, salaries and wages and, and consulting. Um, those were pegged to be totaled about 900000 So, yes, they're expenses, um, but they're nothing related to revenue-generating activities in the quarter. As far as next year, after considering those, um, it would be appropriate to trend up. We, this is a business that is growing. We have significant opportunity in front of us, and we are not going to let an opportunity pass us. Um, we are going to, you know, grow our business and our operations as needed to capitalize on you know, the, as many opportunities as we can. Um, we're not going to turn anything down. This gaming is the dominant form of entertainment in this world. We are positioned to be, you know, the top tier player in the space and define what gaming media means. And, uh, if, you know, if we need to expand our operations to do that, we're going to continue to do so. Got it. And then as my follow-up, I'm curious how you're prioritizing acquisitions today. Uh, it seems like you have, you know, a really large, audience with a massive inventory, you know, are you prioritizing acquisition based more on profitability or audience growth today? And sort of how do you balance the two? And when you say acquisitions are accretive, are you referring to EBITDA? Um, so how we prioritize um, uh, acquisitions is, look, we want to own more and more fan communities. Um, we we believe that we're building an ecosystem and a flywheel, um, and we want to own as much of it as we can. So, you know, if we saw a site uh, or a cluster of YouTube channels that um, had a lot of page views, 
um, a decent RPM, uh, but, you know, based on the content, had zero chance of becoming uh, accretive uh, as a subscription offering, or we couldn't do other things with it. We couldn't repurpose that content on OTT. We would look at it, but we would look at it less favorably um, than an IC Veins, which is, you know, tailor-made for subscription if we pay attention to it, which is tailor-made for uh, content licensing. And so we look at these assets in the context of where can we um, grow them beyond just programmatic ads and direct ads. And that's, um, we have our own proprietary way of looking at these things, um, but that's that's certainly how we prioritize it. And again, um, Yes, sites can be accretive from an EBITDA perspective, from a cash flow perspective. Um, and also, again, in the example of IC veins, um, we, were mon- we're, we were monetizing the IC veins revenue, uh, taking 25 and giving 75 back to the owners. Um, in, now that we're going to be buying it, we're going to uh, be keeping that 75%, and that's going to have a meaningful lift on margin and gross profit, and that's where the real accretion comes from. That's helpful. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Derek, sorry. Our final question is from Kevin Mackey, a private investor. Please proceed with your question. Hi. Yeah, my question has to do with uh, return on ad spend. And it's along the lines of the data analytics question that came previous. Um, are you partnering with any of these companies to calculate return on ad spend so that in future conquests you can uh, dangle the carrot in front of other companies and say, hey, we can give you uh, $10 for every dollar spent on, on these ads? What, what kind of numbers are you seeing for return on ad spend, or are you tracking that at all? Hey, it's uh, nice to meet you, Kevin. So, Neil. No, this was Kevin. Yeah. Um, thank you, Kevin, for the, the question. Um, so we track it in, in kind of two ways. Yes, we do do case studies. Um, you know, the, the best place to track that is in our – it's difficult on the programmatic. It's, it, it's where it needs to be done is on the direct sales. Um, we are fairly new to direct sales, but we do. We have case studies. Um, our clients also track it, and sometimes they set expectations for us, and we monitor along the way jointly. Um as far as uh, return on ad spend, um, you know, we're looking at that. We're also looking at the, I, I believe the acronym is ROAD, um, return on uh, data, um, the, which, which couples with that. And, you know, in the end, we track it. Um, it's an important KPI for us. In the end, our KPI, our most important KPI in direct sales is repeat business. And, uh, and you know, we're doing whatever we can to ensure that. Um, but we are a bit new at direct sales, and we are gathering what data we can, and we and we track as much as we can, and we make case studies, and and uh, so far so good. And as a follow up, and this is unrelated, but um, I'm pretty involved in gaming myself, and uh, League of Legends is to me the 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 biggest name in esports or video game. It's just exceptionally popular, and as I look at enthusiast assets. Um, I think there's a bit of a, I don't want to call it a lack, but um, I'm just wondering if uh, you guys are thinking about League of Legends communities and kind of getting more assets related to that um, powerhouse of a title. 
the short answer is yes. We uh, we we know uh, the power of League of Legends. We also know um, that you know I think, uh, and this is anecdotal, but probably north of half of that fan base is from Asia. We've been focused, uh, you know, in terms of our internet properties on English-speaking countries and and stuff like that. But um, we want to add League of Legends fan communities. Um, we definitely agree with you about um, the size and and uh, popularity and longevity of that game title, and so um, we're actively looking at a few. Great. Thank you. Appreciate your work. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. I know Brian and Rob might have had more than two questions, certainly. No? Okay. There are no further questions in the question queue. This concludes today's conference, and you may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation, and have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.